Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. I think I'm falling in love with me again. You know, you know what I mean, Bill? I think I'm falling in love with me all over again. Sandra, coming from uh, someone that had eyesight and then lost it, what's that like? A lot of people imagine what it would be like. There's no way to imagine. I have glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, and cataracts. So I just want to commend you for just being strong in spite of and because of. You have to be an advocate for yourself. And when blind people get out there and open those doors, attitudes change. And that's why I don't sit at home. I go. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black, And there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill. You got to have one. A token black person? And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for today and the beautiful rainbow that you gave us yesterday. Um, Lord, uh, we just uh, lift up our guest, Sandra, as we she talks about her life and the changes that have gone through in her life and how she's coping with those changes. Lord, uh, we lift up our families as they travel about. We lift up uh, Odell and his family. He's got them all over the country. Uh, And as he travels down to South Carolina uh, for a family issue, we ask for safety as he and Bev drive down there. Amen. Father God, we just say thank you for your grace and your mercy. And the older I get, the more I understand that life is a circle. The circle of life, and it's not didn't start with me, and it won't end with me. I thank you for the wisdom to make tough family decisions that affect so many people. God, God, please continue to help me in my decision making as we continue to make these decisions on how we're going to take care of my mother, because being a caregiver is hard. So we pray for my brother, we pray for my sister and myself as we go through this walk together, and my mother as we go through this journey. God, God, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. All pervasive spirit, guide my thoughts, my actions, and my speech so that I may express you in all your power. Amen. Amen. Hey, Odell, how you doing today, buddy? Well, you know, the good looking black man has lost close to 55 pounds. You know, losing weight is a, is a whole nother deal, Bill. I think I'm falling in love with me again. You know, you know what I mean, Bill? I think I'm falling in love with me all over again. 
Well, that's good. I hope Bev feels the same way. Yeah. <laughs> After dealing with me for 40 years, I think she does, but then you don't know, Bill. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to just keep my life insurance policy paid up. So, hey, at least, at least at the end of the day, it's something in it for her. Hey, I did see a picture of you on Facebook with, you know, you are looking slim and trim. I got to admit that. And they were talking about you wearing skinny jeans. Are you going to wear skinny jeans? Now, Bill, that's a rumor started at work. You know, the church people always start rumors, especially black Baptists. You know, we started rumor in a heartbeat. So the the staff was like, oh, Pastor Odell's losing weight. I wonder if he's going to show up one day in skinny jeans. So I just picked up on it and just turned it into a joke. And we're going to go from there. But we don't know about the skinny or the jeans, Bill. But we're doing the best we can to try to stay healthy and try to stay around here a little longer. Well, than- I got a question. Do you even know what skinny jeans are? Come on, Bill. I'm 62 years old. I'm a country boy from South Carolina. I know what skinny jeans are. At least I think I do. Well, you know, I had skinny jeans a long time ago, and those were basically because there were two sizes too small, and we couldn't afford other clothes. And so you just uh, you just open the top button and you make it work. Uh, you know, it's interesting. My son, um, I have a son, T. Cumsey, as many people know. Uh, he was in LA and now he's in New York. So he calls and hit me up. Daddy, you're doing good. Daddy, you're doing good. So Bill, I think the guest today used to be in LA also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sandra is, uh, was in LA and she sent us her bio, which, uh, uh, which gave us some information. Sandra McMurray. I'm going to read a little bit about her. Okay. Did she say how beautiful she is, Bill? Did she say in the bio how beautiful she is? As we look at her on Zoom with a beautiful smile, is that in the bio? No, it is not. It is not. But we should add that as the starting point. There you go. There you start go. us at the starting point. Well, she says she became legally blind at the age of 50 in November of 2000. At the time, she was a legal secretary coordinator at a 400 attorney law firm in downtown L.A. Wow. And supervised 60 legal secretaries. She has progressive eye disease called retinitis and it's pigmatosis, I think. And we may have to help me with that word. In 2004, the loss of eyesight had progressed to a point where she could not perform her duties. And this is where her journey began. It's not where it ended. Sandra's vocational rehab counselor told her that they could only train her to be a housewife. How do you like them apples? Ah. Oh, you know, if, if it was a guy legally blind, what would they train him to be as a a father or something. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. We'll ask her about that. Yeah. You can't uh, touch that bill. That's male chauvinist. You know how that is. Yeah. Bias that ain't right. Else. That's not yeah. right. While doing research on blind assistive technology in 2006, she learned that the technology exists, which allow her to continue her duties at the law firm. Upon further research, she found that the federal government funded a study that showed minorities were not receiving these services that were available to them. Due to the study, the federal government provides grants to minorities to train them to be vocational rehabilitation counselors. In 2009, she discovered there were agencies that specifically hired the blind to work on contracts for the federal government. We've got one here uh, in Greensboro on uh, Gates City. Yeah, exactly. Big building. Vocational rehabilitation counselors were not informing their clients that since they did not receive credit when blind individuals worked at these agencies, Interesting. They weren't getting credit, so they weren't telling people. Hmm. After further eyesight lost in 2021, Sandra contracted the Division of Services for the Blind in Guilford County and again did not have access to services she was entitled to. 
She determined to become an advocate for herself and has since received some of the services she's been fighting. Her fight is still ongoing. Sandra, welcome to our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. You know, Sandra, coming from uh, someone that had eyesight and then lost it, what's that like? Actually, I lost it when I was driving on the freeway. I was transitioning from one freeway to another and it went zip that quick. Mine goes that quick. Usually it's progressive slowly, but stress affects mine and it just chunks go. And my fiance at the time guided me to the side of the road. And that was the last time I drove. And this is in an LA freeway. So that's, it, there's a few cars. Yes. Yes. Holy cow. Yes. It was, I knew I had retinitis pigmentosa because they found it in my youngest son when he was 15 years old. However, he didn't, he went legally blind at 18. I didn't go legally blind till I was 50. Wow. And, you know, obviously that, from my standpoint, that would be a very difficult thing. It was naturally supported my son through his process. When he was 15, I came home and said, why did you go to school? He said, because I can't be what I want to be. He wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Mm. And so he's 6'3", and I'm looking up at him, and I'm saying, I can't make this kid go to school. (laughs) So we had an agreement. You go to counseling once a week, and then we'll discuss it in six months. In a year, he got bored, went back to school, made up that year, and graduated a year in advance. Wow. So my journey with him was before I lost my eyesight. And even though I helped him through his process, I had no idea what it was psychologically and emotionally till it hit me. Wow. So a lot of people imagine what it would be like. There's no way to imagine that journey, if you will. You cannot conceive what you go through just by the intellectual idea of it. So at that time, I was legally blind. And legally blind is 20, 2200 or higher or your peripheral, your visual field is less than 20 degrees. So you can have 20-20 vision and have those 20 degrees. And if you can imagine the cardboard holder and the paper towel and looking through that, Mm -hmm. it's very similar to that. So at that time, I was very close to the 20 degree mark. So I could see at a distance, I was nearsighted and functioning, and then it was tough, but nothing compared to what I went through in 2021. I have glaucoma, retinitis pigmentosa, and cataracts. You choose which one is taking my eyesight. Wow. So some days it changes from hour to hour. I can see through a white cloud. Some days that tunnel is clear. It's always changing. You know, as you're coming on the show and uh, you you sent us a bio, I started thinking about simple things. And I started thinking about where do I see blind people or if I even do? For example, I I don't think I've ever seen a blind person in Walmart shopping or in a grocery store. So I'm thinking, okay, how how did they do that? 
do they have someone with them? Now it's interesting. I'll tell you where I have seen a blind person that really stood out was snow skiing in Vail, Colorado. They were coming down the slope and it had a big orange vest on said blind skier and the two people, one in front and one in the back uh, said blind skier support. And what they were doing is this skier obviously was pretty good, but they were telling them, you know, right turn, left turn. And, you know, they were, they were not on the real difficult slopes, but they were, they're on the same slopes that I went. So, and I was, I was really impressed by that, that someone wanted the joy of being outside going down the ski slopes. And part of the beauty of skiing is to see the beauty and they couldn't do that, but they could experience the fun, the cold and the feeling you shared with me about your trip to DC. Can you share with our audience that trip and, and some of the obstacles you had taking the train? Actually, the American with Disability Act provides that companies are supposed to provide assistance, if you will. So when I went to the Amtrak station in Greensboro, I went up to the ticket agent. He said, okay, we will assist you. Sit down here 10 minutes before the train comes. I'll come, someone will come get you to take you up to the platform. No one came. After the 10 minutes, I stood up and I said, excuse me, can someone help me? And so the ticket agent closed down his window and walked me up to the platform. And I said to him, boy, it's good I can walk because they were supposed to pick me up in the cart and drive me up like they did luggage. The train was late 30 minutes and the ticket agent left me there on the platform. So when the train comes, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't find the conductor in the door. A passenger helped me, if you will, took me to the conductor. The conductor boarded me on the train, showed me to my seat and was getting ready to leave me. And I, it's a seven hour trip. And I said, could you show me where the bathroom is? And he said, right there. And I said, I can't see there. Would you mind showing me where the bathroom is? So he took me to show me. And so I asked him, would you describe to me the layout of the bathroom? And he did. And then he took off. Well, there were three conductors between Greensboro and Washington, D.C. Union Station. Not once did they ask me if I needed anything. And they were supposed to, because business class, which I booked, you get free drinks and they're supposed to assist you. Inevitably, I had to use the bathroom. So I go in the bathroom. I couldn't find the lock. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm like, okay, what do you do? And I'm assertive. I opened the door and hollered out to the car. Anybody know how to lock the door? <laughs> and they proceeded, several people proceeded to tell me how. And I figured out how to lock it. And one of the other women passengers said, I will stand outside the door to make sure no one disturbs you. And then one of the passengers said, no one has checked on you. Would you like something to drink? I'm going to the cafe car. So they wouldn't got me something to drink. So by the time we got in the Union Station, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to say something now to make sure that I have assistance getting off, especially in Washington, D.C. So I asked the conductor, one of the passengers got the conductor for me and told him I needed assistance. And he said, no problem, someone will be here. So in Washington, D.C., they picked me up in a cart 
took me down to the main station, got my luggage, and took me out to where my friend was picking me up. That is the way it's supposed to happen. I have been to Egypt three times, London, Paris, Brazil, alone. They are supposed to provide assistance. When I'm on trips, I pay a sighted guide to guide me around. Wow, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing it. Odell? Sandra, I'm, I'm sitting here just amazed. Tell me about being a blind advocate or advocacy and being independent. Can you share that with our audience? When I lost my eyesight, I contacted Division of Services of the Blind. It was February 2021. We were still in the lockdown. And Division of Services for the Blind shut down completely. No one was getting any services. Now, people were still going blind, but no one was getting any services. So when I contacted the counselor, she says, well, we're not making house calls because usually they come to your house, show you how to cook, organize your clothes and whatever in the other. And so I said, what kind of phone do you have? And she said, I have an Apple. And I said, we can FaceTime and you can see what I need and tell me how to do it. Oh, okay. I guess we can do that. So a couple of months later, they had a Zoom meeting where they had clients and there were about 10 and it went on for four hours on Tuesday and Thursday. Two hours of it was playing games and two hours was practical information. But they would say, this is what you use to measure with. And it looks like this. So I said, I'm sorry, I'm blind. I can't see what this is. Would you please describe it? Now, first time Zoom meeting, correct? But these were independent living counselors for Division of Services for the Blind. And every time they did that, I would say, I'm sorry, I'm blind. Would you please describe it for me? And after a while, they didn't like me very much. Okay, so I asked, they had a low vision um, counselor on, and I asked, could you tell me the name of a low vision specialist in Greensboro area? Go to your optometrist. And I said, the optometrist is not a low vision specialist, because low vision specialist specializes in aids that help you to see magnifiers, apps, Um, these types of things. And I pushed and I got a name, Mm. Dr. Whitaker at Duke Health. And I needed orientation and mobility. I couldn't see to get around to go to my dumpster, go to my mailbox. And we don't, we're not providing that. COVID shut down. And I'm like, something's wrong with this picture. So I kept pushing. So the Counselor suggested that I have a meeting between her and her supervisor. And I said, okay. So we had the meeting and I said, could you recommend a counselor to work through these emotional and psychological issues? Because trying to function blind and working, it's a lot of energy and it's overwhelming. And if you're not, your head isn't straight, how do you manage it? 
So the supervisor told me I was unreasonable to ask for counseling. No one had ever asked for counseling. And I asked her, how long have you been at the Division of Services of Law? She said, 22 years. I said, thank you for your time. Goodbye. And I was pissed. So when I get angry, I become active to solve the problem. I begin to make phone calls. Phone calls through the Division of Services for the Blind. I got blown off by the counselors. However, the admin people told me who to call next. (laughs) I went all the way up to the assistant director in Raleigh, told her what was going on. Within 24 hours, I got some of my services. So you have to be an advocate for yourself. Since then, I found out that there is a federal agency called Client Assistance Program that advocates for people who are disabled. I'm a CERB. I fight for me. If people don't have that, they can contact the Client Assistance Program and they will fight for them or else they will coach them in how to fight for themselves. I work at Industries of the Blind. And there are people there who don't know that they can get services. So I'm passing it on. Amtrak didn't perform from Greensboro. I contact the main office and let them know where they're failing. Airlines have lost me at the airport. I contact the main office and tell them where they're failing. So what do you mean they lost you? What do you mean they lost you? I was going, (laughs) I'm kind of, how could I put it? I surrender the spirit and spirit just guides me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I do things that most people would not do. I have a brother and sister who live in Gran Canaria, Spain, and I wanted to go visit. My husband did not. I went alone. I went to Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, the international terminal is separate from the domestic and they put you on a shuttle. And they told me when I got to the international terminal, Someone would be there to admit me. They were not. But I could speak the language. It's English, right? So I asked people. I knew it gave. So I asked people, where is such a shit? And they give me directions. And so I get to the gate, and they say, we were looking for you. Where were you? And I said, waiting for someone to find me. I reported that. Um, different things all the way through. In the United States, when you go through security, They break down your cane, put your cane through the scanner and say, okay, come this way. And you say, I'm sorry, I'm blind. I don't know where this way is. Mm. So they think a minute and then they come and grab you and then pull you awkwardly through. In London and Heathrow and in Europe, you go through with your cane. They take the cane, break it down and put it through the scanner. Totally different outside of the United States. People constantly, I was in Paris. Ma'am, where are you going? Do you need assistance? In Egypt, mother, where are you going? Is someone with you? Can I assist you? I went to Target when I first came to Greensboro and I walked up to customer service and said, I'm blind, I need assistance. We don't do personal shopping here. And I said, I'm not asking for a personal shopper. Under ADA law, you must provide assistance. We don't do personal shoppers here. Please get your manager. The manager came. We don't do personal shoppers here. 
please call your corporate office. 10 minutes later, ma'am, we will get someone to assist you. Good for you. The person who assisted me is the one who um, gathered up the carts. We had a great time. He learned that sheets come in sets. (laughs) (laughs) And probably thread count as well. (laughs) But he was enthusiastic and I just needed his eyes. Yeah, he needed his eyes. Wow. Wow. I have a quick question for you, Sandra. Blind people have been stereotyped over the years with wearing shades or, you know, so you can't see their eyes. And I'm looking at your eyes now and your eyes are beautiful. Where did that come from? Help me understand that. I can see enough and I actually focus on your voice. Some people's eyes don't focus enough or they can't direct them to where you're looking at a person. So their eyes are caught, they're looking, and it doesn't look normal. Okay, got it, got it. And light, glare, bothers quite a few people. So the sunglasses helps to stop the glare. God, that makes sense. That makes all the sense in the world. It's almost like the question you always want to ask, however, you just, it's not appropriate to ask. You know, that's a good question, Odell, because when I was in college, uh, we would go over and meet at one of my buddy's house, and then we would drive down to school together. And one day, Stevie Wonder came on TV, and she was watching the TV, and she looked at all, all three of us guys and said, why is it that black singers always wear sunglasses when they sing? Mm-hmm. And we said, I said, Mrs. Scott, he's blind. He's wearing them for the reasons you just said, Sandra. And she had no idea. She just stereotyped a black person that they're going to wear sunglasses when they sing. Well, considering, for instance, Division of Services for the Blind kept telling me to get someone to help me. I'm in Greensboro alone. My sons live in California. Most of my family is in California. I had no one here. I have friends. I have wonderful neighbors. Spirit put me where I am safe and I have a system in place. However, I don't want to be a burden. And like you said, Odell, being a caregiver is training. So I want to be independent. Certainly I can go home and live with my son and his wife and three kids. I love my home and the life I've created outside of California. It's stressful. Oh, yeah. You don't realize how stressed it is until you leave it. And you can live better out of California than you can in it because it's so high. So there's several reasons where I don't want to leave my home. The Division of Services for the Blind constantly gets someone to help you. You don't have to do this. So quite a few, and it is easier to a certain extent, but it certainly isn't enriching. To me, in my experience, when I first lost my eyesight, I went to a support group in Los Angeles, Anaheim, Orange County, for the blind person and the caregiver. And there were about 10 couples. And I was 50 and my fiance was 55 at the time. We were the youngest, if you will. And one thing I learned was that when you lose your eyesight, you either become extremely dependent or more independent. I went the other way. I became more independent 
And family and friends were very uncomfortable with me being independent. They were projecting. I'd go to the grocery store. My niece would call, Aunt Sandra, where are you? And I said, I'm at the grocery store shopping. I told you I would take you. Why are you going to the grocery store by yourself? My sons, mom, let us know if you need anything. They respect my independence. Right. So quite often, family members keep the blind person sheltered because of their own fears. And I can understand that because I went through that with my son. And my son told me, mom, that sounds like a personal problem. You need counsel. And I thought about it and I said, you are absolutely right. So you, your family has to work through those emotions, if you will. Yeah. Odell, have you ever thought what would happen if you went blind? Not really. You know, sometimes when you walk into a very, very dark room, you think about how dark it is. However, one's eyes, pupils will adjust eventually and pick up whatever glare of light there is and just adjust. So we understand that. Sandra just reminds me so much and not making a comparison of my mother. Let me explain. My mother had a massive stroke at the age of 25. Um, she was denied services when she first had the stroke. She went to the emergency room and they sent her home for two and a half days. Uh, late 60s, um, divorced single, divorced single, divorced single, black female. And they sent her home because they were saying she needed to come back on the free clinic day. Well, she had insurance. She was working for a company. She had insurance, but they sent her home. And Sandra, anyone who knows anything about a stroke victim knows that minutes, seconds, and hours count. So just imagine being sent home for a couple of days. And when the advocate took her back, physician on duty happened to be the same one. And he just started talking about how he told her to come back on the free clinic day. Well, he pushed and pushed and pushed. And they admitted her. And my mother stayed in the hospital for three months. Didn't know if she's going to live or die. So when you start thinking about being strong and persistent, you know, that's the key. And having an advocate, because sometimes other people have to come in and help. So I just want to commend you for just being strong in spite of and because of. My life before I lost my eyesight prepared me to deal with this. That strength doesn't come unless you've lived life and been through things. I have. My sons have. When my son was 18 and graduated from school, he filed for social security disability himself. He came home one day with all these bags and, and I'm like, where'd you get that from? My check. And he had filed himself, but my son had been through this. Three years later, so I asked him, so what are you gonna do now? You graduated, what? give me time. I wanna take a year off just to decide what I'm going to do. Reasonable, right? That year turned into three years. And so I said at the time, if something happened to me, he wouldn't be able to take care of himself. So I told him, you have 90 days. You go to vocational rehab, enroll in college, I pay somebody else to stay with me. Because I had been charging him $50 a week and I'm saving money thinking he'll need it for his first and last month rent to move out. He was very comfortable. So 60 days came and I said, so what are your plans? You're not gonna put me out 
mom, I'm blind. And my oldest son told him, you know, mom does what she always says she's going to do. Day one came and I said, where are you going? And he says, what does it matter to you? You're putting me out. So he walks out and my oldest son moved him. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I knew he needed to know how to be independent. But as a mother, I'm like, ah. So my son calls me, my oldest son says, don't worry about it, mom. He rented a room from a widower. I checked it out. He's fine. But my son was angry with me. I was on his bank account so I could look every month and he had money left over. So I knew he was doing what he needed to do. A year later on my birthday, I get a knock on the door. I open the door and there he is. And I'm, oh, me no kind of blah, 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 blah. And he says to me, thank you for loving me, mom. I love living alone. I am so happy. Thank you for loving me. So. Tough love, tough love. It's powerful. It was, you know, every person is different. I know my sons, they're both independent. They like their mom. And I knew he could do it, but he was comfortable. There are some people who cannot. So the services and the help, and they're not independent, that's okay. My point is people should be entitled to have what they want in life. The services are there the full range. No one should be able to decide for them where they should be. That should be a personal decision. And division services of the blind here and in California, this is not something that just happens in Guilford County. It's not the system that's wrong. It's people's attitudes. And when blind people get out there and open those doors, attitudes change. And that's why I don't sit at home. I go. And I hit obstacles. When I went to Washington, D.C., I haven't been in a big city. Subways, trains at times, it was challenging, but I, my skills came back to me and I was able to handle it. But it's so much more rewarding than sitting at home and feeling sorry for yourself, to me. Sandra, you're amazing. You're just amazing. The determination and fire in the belly and the spirit. I mean, it's just great. You know, the only thing that I'm kind of sorry for you for is your next door neighbor. <laughs> Oh, that is such a gift. I I came to Greensboro because Industries for the Blind were paying people to move here who were blind to work for them. Mm -hmm. And they'd pay you to move to Greensboro. I was in Austin, Texas. I had left Charlotte, went to Austin, Texas by myself, knew no one there, and was working there. And I decided... If I wanted to buy a house, I'd have to work the rest of my life. It was too expensive. So I had a friend who was working here and she was, and I looked at the houses. This is doable. So I came in August, 2018. And again, I could not do what I do without the support of spirit. Mm. It's there. I mean, I'm in this apartment one week I'm at the office and a woman's waiting for a package. I went to pick up a package and we started talking. And she says to me, 
I'm retired and have nothing to do. If you need a ride somewhere, let me know. And I'm thinking to myself, this woman talks a lot. (laughs) 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 But she is the kindest, the most compassionate person I've ever met. And till this day, all I have to do is call her and she said, what adventure are we going on today? Oh, man, that's that is fantastic. You've been in Greensboro how long now? Since August of 2018. Okay. What's your favorite thing in Greensboro? The Greenways. The Greenways. So you can walk those, enjoy that. I haven't done it yet, but I have an orientation and mobility instructor who works for Industries of the Blind that is willing to take me and show me a route. Oh, that is great. They are nice. Sandra, what's the difference in the people and the culture? Because obviously, I was, I'm assuming, and you know what assumptions do, you were born and raised in, on the West Coast, and you moved to Greensboro. What's the difference in L.A. West Coast culture and Greensboro Southern culture? I moved to Charlotte first. Right. Okay. And I was in Charlotte from 2006 to 2014. And then I moved to Austin, Texas from 2014 to 2018. They are the people... <laughs> The people in North Carolina and Austin are more laid back. In Los Angeles, you have to think fast and you have to perform fast or you will get run over. Wow. Here, they're more laid back. They take time to speak. That's Southern hospitality, if you will, but they don't process as quickly. Got it. Well, Sandra, we're getting near the end of the show and we always ask our guests, how do you find common ground? And uh, we don't we don't set a platform that you have to put that into. You you decide in your life how do you find common ground. Spirit expresses through everyone, whether you call it God, Allah, Jehovah, whatever it is, it's still the same power. And those expressions are how can I put it? Those expressions are unique to that individual. However, it's the same power. So when I look at a person, and when I say look, I'm not saying what my physical eye. When I sense the spirit in that person, it's the same source. You know, you got a point there because sometimes our eyes deceive us. Bill, she's absolutely right. In addition to that, your eyes are not deceiving you because I'm still a good-looking black guy. Now, (laughs) Sandra, quick question for you. And I don't mean this uh, out of a pun. We're going to Paris and we're going over to England. We've been to Paris before. And I say we, Bill, his wife, Dory, me and my wife, Beverly. Usually someone would say, what's the sea there when you go to Paris? But I'm asking you from the spiritual perspective, what should we pay attention to when we go to Paris in your opinion? There is, I would say the people. Don't isolate yourself to the touristy things, go to the areas where the people who actually live there and experience them, even if you just go to a restaurant. When we were there, I went with my sister, my niece, and my best friend. My sister and niece wanted to go on a Black tour, historic tour, and you had to go to the part of town where Black people were. So We asked the desk clerk and he looked at each of us 
And he said, be careful. So we took the subway and we got off the subway and went up the stairs and stepped out into this area. Totally different than the other part of Paris. Police everywhere. Not because something had went on. Just heavy police presence. Um, stopping people, searching people. And my sister and niece are, to a certain extent, naive. But I felt the difference, if you will. Mm. And I told them, you guys go. I'm going back to the hotel. Wow. Be with the group. I've been to all these places, but I've always gone with the group because you don't know the cities you are in. But that tour guide does. Even if you take tours when you get over there, go with the group. Don't go out on your own. When I went to Brazil, there was, we were on the beach in Rio. And the tour guide said, don't wear any gold, any jewelry, anything valuable. Because we were going to be on the beach on New Year's Eve. And I wanted to dance samba. Okay. Rod Stewart was there. And I was totally disappointed, but we were still on the beach. Uh-huh. About 11.30 at night, this massive group of young men came down from this hill. And on the hill, it looks like apartments. And they swarmed down through the tourist crowd taking purses, watches, or whatever, and swarm back up. Wow. And I asked that tour guide, and he said, I said, those apartments, is that where they live? They looked like apartments from the distance. They were made from cardboard. Wow. No sewer, no water. So what I'm saying to you is we in America take things for granted, and Life is different when you leave the United States. Even the worst ghetto in the United States isn't bad as some parts of these cities, even in Paris, wow. even in Egypt, even in London. So I would say be careful. Thank you. Yeah, that's good advice. Appreciate it. Sandra, you've been a joy to be on our show. And uh, we really enjoyed you talking about your life and your challenges and your successes and your determination. You're, you're an inspiration to uh, our viewers and Odell and I. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. You guys are doing a great job. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.